Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. If you want to get in touch with the show, email us at IllegalMotionPodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Illegal underscore Motion. Thanks for downloading. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Los Angeles, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And joining us, as always, from Nashville, Tennessee, uh, ready to get it going at camp again this weekend, is the coach, Corey Burton. What's going on? What's going on, professor? What's going on, Josh? How y'all doing today? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Man, I'm, man, I'm fired up, guys. I don't know about you, but I'm fired up. It's Christmas season. We got an exciting podcast for you. Um, got some bowl previews and things like that, Matt. I'm 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 ready to rock and roll, man. Let's let's get this thing going. Sounds good. And the third member of the Three Amigos uh, from the Second City, a man who is greatly anticipating the new Star Wars. It's our intrepid blogger, Josh Cook. Oh, I don't know if I'm greatly anticipating it. The original trilogy, I mean, those are classics. The new ones, uh, not so much. We'll we'll see. We'll play it by ear. I don't know. All right. All right. Well, uh, we got a lot to get to today, uh, but before we get to some bowl previews, we are going to start the show off by just doing a couple quick coaching recaps, and uh, bo- both of which happen down in the great state of Louisiana. Um, we'll start with uh, Ewell Monroe, who hired McNeese State's Matt Vieter um, as their new football coach. Um, and uh, like I said, uh, Vieter comes from uh, McNeese State, um, a an FCS school. So uh, I'll start with you, Josh. How do you feel about, you know, what do you know about Vieter? Uh, you know, what do you think he's got sort of the task in front of him? Well, I think most people that know about McNeese State know about that near miss in Lincoln, Nebraska, when they almost stunned the Cornhusters a few years ago. Uh, known for having a high-power offense, made the FCS tournament five times, uh, had – several 10-win seasons, won his conference four times. So for Louisiana Monroe, it looks like a pretty good hire on paper. You're always curious to see how these FCS people can do at a new program because some of the upper echelon FCS schools, which McNeese certainly is, is actually better facilities, better fan base, and a better support system for football than some of the lower end FBS schools, which is certainly what the Warhawks are. I hope he succeeds. This will be an exciting story. Yeah, I mean I, I think so too. And I think that, you know, he's he's taken over a program that I mean, they had a bad record, but they're not they haven't they haven't always been a, a horrible program. I mean the the people down there will, will get behind uh the Warhawks and, and they will uh, they want the coach to do well, and I think he, he's a guy that's been successful everywhere he's been. So, you know, I'm excited for him. I think he'll do a good job, and, and I hope that he does a good job for the sake of that program because I've always enjoyed watching that, watching them play. So, um, very exciting. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, we'll let, let's hop down from Monroe to uh, to New Orleans, where Tulane has hired Willie Fritz uh, to take on uh, as their new head coach. Uh, obviously, uh, Fritz comes over from uh, uh, Fritz comes over from George Southern, um, and yeah, so. 
Uh, coach, I guess I'll get started with you. What, what are your impressions of, of Fritz as a coach? Uh, I, I like him a lot. Uh, he won a national championship at Sam Houston State, and, and he's gotten, you know, Georgia Southern competing in the Sun Belt in their, in their first few years in, in FPS. I mean, I think he's done a tremendous job everywhere he's been. You know, he's a very he has a very exciting brand of football that he brings. It's a mixture of option and spread and different concepts. And, you know, he, he seems like he's a guy that gets it and get, you know, the, the players love him and, you know, alumni seem to, to really love him and, and get behind him. So, you know, I think Tulane's getting a great coach and Tulane needs some, somebody like that, somebody to come in and bring a fresh new energy into their program like Willie Fritz can do because, you know, Tulane has some potential sitting there in New Orleans. They could, they could, if they're the, they're sitting in the American Conference right now, and they're kind of just lying in the weeds. And if they get the right guy to come in with the with the right energy and the right recruiting tactics or the 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 right recruiting strategy, I think they could do well within their own city. I think they need to first do well in their own city, get some of those kids that they don't normally get from New Orleans to come to Tulane, and then start pulling more kids from the entire state of Louisiana, and then they can start branching out from there. And if they do well enough, they could compete for uh, the American Athletic Conference championship every year, and and they could compete with LSU for some recruits. Maybe not. But uh, I think they could do a really good job within their own conference uh, as far as recruiting goes, and I think they could, you know, the the ceiling is very high and uh, the floor is very low, and right now they're on the floor. So – um, you know, honestly, they don't have anywhere to go but up. But I think they hired the right guy. I think they hired the right guy that can come in and do it more short term because he's used to winning and he knows what it takes to build a winning program. And he knows and he knows how to do it with limited resources too. Josh, how do you feel about this one? Well, I think he can compete with LSU for a few recruits. Um, the guys that are like three-star kids who – could go to LSU and sit for three years and then maybe their senior year make an impact. You know, you could sell them on the green wave by saying they could make an impact right away. Um, I agree with everything you said, Coach, outside of I'm sure some North Dakota State fans would love to remind you they did not win a national title. The the Bison knocked them off two straight years. Um, but he was incredible. I mean, Willie Fritz won 97 to 47 uh, at Central Missouri in D2. Then at Sam Houston, forty and fifteen. Then at Georgia Southern, seventeen and seven, and fourteen and two inside the Sun Belt. He's one of those guys where he's won everywhere. And sometimes people are just like that. They're not the sexiest hire. They're not the biggest name. Uh, Jerry Kill kind of comes to mind. Where after a while, you just kind of have this reputation as a winner. And Willie Fritz certainly has that. Excellent. Excellent. Well, um, let's uh, let's, uh, let's keep it moving here, and we will go on to doing a quick recap of the Army-Navy game, which took place last weekend. And Navy obviously wins um, uh, in a close one. And, Josh, I, knew, I know you were dialed into this, so uh, what did you see on the field? Well, I thought in the first half Navy looked really, really tight, and I'm sure part of it was – the stress of the streak uh, for Keenan Reynolds, the stress of it being his last Army-Navy game and trying to be the first quarterback to ever go 4-0 and in the series. And obviously the noise around Kenny Matalolo going out to Brigham Young 
and they looked tight. And they came out in the second half, and their offense still wasn't firing on all cylinders like you'd expect. Hats off to the Black Knight defense, who, uh, despite ending the year 2-10, and 10, their run defense was salty all season long. So that Army team is a lot better than their record indicates. Um, but, but you saw Navy play a lot better in the second half. I think they relaxed. The defense came out and made some great hits. This was a fun game, and I think Army's really close to not just winning this game, but really breaking through. I, I could see them, you know, winning five, six games next year, and if they go six and six, um, I'm pretty sure Army is tied into a, one of the military bowl games where they'll get to go right away. Um, so, so Army looks like they're, they're doing some things right there. I kind of like it. And obviously the news now that Niamatololo is staying at Navy, I, I think that, you, you know, I think the lure of him being a Mormon coaching at BYU and, and working with his son certainly made it worth exploring. But obviously BYU is known for their past in tech. They always have been. Lavelle Edwards created that. And, I guess my guess is when he got out there, he probably realized it wasn't quite his fit for what he likes to do. So Tanner Magnum's not going to work out in that system. Tanner might even transfer who knows. And he probably just realized he's got a wonderful thing going at Navy in a really good conference. And the family and religious fit would have been fun, but the football X's and O fit, it wasn't there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one of the things I was really impressed with with this Army-Navy game was uh, actually uh, the quarterback for Army, Chris Carter, um, and his uh, his main target of uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Um, and, uh, but, who, no. who, who I gave some love to on the show, so I loved it. I, I texted Matt during the game. I was like, I called something. I predicted something accurately. Heck, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, no, I, I really – I mean, I was really more impressed with, with how well Army played and, and how clean they played because they had been a team that's been plagued with turnovers for a long time, especially in this series. But, you know, in the season overall, they've been a team that hasn't done a good job taking care of the football and they finally, you know, take care of the football, and you, you see what they can do. I mean, they they get they get themselves in with in a game the whole way with uh, with a team they haven't beaten thirteen years, and then you know you, you're sitting there going, oh, I mean, they're going to do it. I mean, Navy's giving them every chance they can, and then all of a sudden uh, they played so clean for so long, and then all of a sudden, bam, three straight turnovers, and and Navy just kind of seals the deal on them and. It was kind of disappointing. Um, I think next year is going to be a really interesting game uh, between Army and Navy, and it's going to be exciting. Army is a team that's drastically improving, so I'm impressed. Huck seems to be impressed too there, Coach. Yeah. Um, So, um, excellent. Well, that's going to wrap up our sort of – what's that, Josh? I was going to say to to tie a bow on Army season for people that didn't know why we're giving so much love to a 2-10 and team. They lost their opener by two points, Connecticut by five, Wake Forest by three in a last-second field goal. Lost at Penn State by just six. Lost late touchdown to Rice. Uh, lost on a late field goal again to Tulane. And only lost by ten to Rutgers. Uh, you know, you flip just a few of those plays, this team could have won seven games. Which is kind of crazy. Yeah. So, well, you know, I think they're definitely a team to be uh, on the lookout for uh, next season, at least. 
So, um, but let's uh, let, let's keep it moving and get on to the Bulls. Um, well, what about the Heisman? We're not going to discuss the Heisman at all. I mean, okay, fine. What, uh, fine, we'll take two minutes on the Heisman. Derrick Henry wins. Well, can I do like a little bit of a, you know, venting just for a second? Yeah, you can rant. I mean, I'm in agreement uh, with you on this too. So, all right. So the Heisman Trophy. Its description is awarded for the outstanding college football player whose performance best exhibits the pursuit of excellence with integrity. Winners epitomize great ability combined with diligence, perseverance, and hard work. Well, Keenan Reynolds, the way they scheduled it, didn't even get to be invited because they did the same game, same day as the Army-Navy game. I would say... He had great ability running a triple option, uh, perseverance, hard work, integrity, all the four of those as a senior at Navy. Uh, Deshaun Watson overcoming injuries shows great perseverance. And then obviously the award, the Maxwell and the Campbell and the AP go to like the most outstanding player, the Maxwell and the Walter Camp go to the best player. And the the Heisman Trophy winner is supposed to go to the outstanding player. I'm sorry, nothing is more outstanding than Christian McCaffrey having more flipping yards than anyone in the history of the game. Derrick Henry had a wonderful season. I would say Derrick Henry was probably the most valuable player, which is what the Archie Griffin goes to, because if you take him off that Alabama team, they're not in the tournament. But outstanding was McCaffrey or Keenan Reynolds or even Deshaun Watson. I would have voted Derrick Henry fourth on my ballot. Josh, I give you 10,000 thumbs up on that. Absolutely. I mean, it's Christian McCaffrey broke all sorts of, he broke all sorts of records, including Barry Sanders' all-purpose yards record. The guy does it quietly. The guy has just been a solid leader his entire time at Stanford. And I know it's not a career achievement award, but, you know, his senior year has really just encompassed his entire, his entire career at Stanford. And he's been a tremendous player for the Cardinals. And it, it's a shame that he didn't get it. I understand kind of why, you know, I, I thought there was three really good candidates this year, um, more so than, you know, any other year. Some years they just, they just have token invites. But um, I, think, I think it should have been McCaffrey, Watson, Henry, uh, Personally, that's how I would have voted it. All right. Well, I, it's, it really it sounds like uh, Huck has a lot to uh, to add on to add on this one. I think, <laughs> I think he would have gone Reynolds one, McCaffrey two, Henry three, Watson four. But that's just judging off what I know about him. Um, anyhow, <laughs> um, I you know I'm, I'm with you there, Josh. I you know. McCaffrey, in my mind, was the most outstanding player and the most Im- and the most impressive player. Um, you know, he, you know, he, he he just his ability to to run the ball, to catch the ball, to his returns and everything like that. He was really uh, he, he was a special player this year, and you don't see a lot of guys who are that versatile on the field and. It is – it's something that should be rewarded. Um, do you have any, anything else you want to say about the Heisman, Josh? Um, well, I knew I was in for a long day when during halftime of the Northern Iowa 
North Dakota State game. The ESPN commentator who had a vote, he's not allowed to release his ballot, but he was able to give his top three. He said his top three was Derrick Henry, Deshaun Watson, and Connor Cook. And his explanation was he saw Stanford against Northwestern. And if that's who's voting on it, those are the brain cells that they rub together to determine supposedly the most prestigious award in football, then just melt the trophy and stop giving it out because that's just asinine. That's that's insane. So I guess he doesn't – so Connor Cook gets it even though he didn't play in the biggest game of the year. Yeah, evidently he watched the Northwestern-Sanford game, but he missed the Ohio State-Michigan State game. Apparently. Good Lord. Okay, well um, – well, let's you know. Let's keep it moving on then. On to, on to, on to some happier things. On to bowl season. Yeah. And so we are going to start. We're going to pick up right where we left off um, last time, and that is with the Miami Beach Bowl, uh, which pits Western Kentucky versus the University of South Florida. Uh, this game is on. Um, this game is on Monday, December 21st, and it is in Miami, but it's in Marlins Park. So I hope whenever they score a touchdown, the giant, like, Marlin that jumps out of the fence when they hit a home run, I hope whenever someone scores a touchdown, that that, uh, that, that is in working order. Um, but this, is, this should be a fun one nonetheless. Uh, Josh, we'll start with you. What are you looking forward to in this one? Well, Western Kentucky averages 44 points a game and South Florida averages 33. So there's a good chance we'll see more scores in this football game than the Marlins scored all last year in baseball. Um, Certainly an intriguing matchup, uh, a little bit under the radar. I'm sure people don't realize this, but Willie Taggart just finished his third year at South Florida. So that means there's plenty of Western Kentucky players who saw him leave, who he recruited. So there might be a little bit of chip on their shoulders. Uh, South Florida has a really good defense, 23rd in the country. Uh, They knocked off Temple, who we've lauded. They knocked off Connecticut, who's a bowl team. They hung tight with Navy. They knocked off Cincinnati. They dropped 65 points on Cincinnati, who's going to a bowl game. They beat ACC Syracuse. The South Florida team is salty, but Western Kentucky, they've played Indiana. They've played Vanderbilt. They played Louisiana Tech in their conference and killed them. Or Sorry, that was uh, my bad. That was Marshall that they killed. They did beat Louisiana Tech. Uh, this is a CUSA team that did not drop down to play an FCS school to pad their record. They're 11-2 and two against the big boys. South Florida did pick up a game against an FCS school. I think Western Kentucky's hungry. I don't think they want to lose to Willie Taggart. And as good as South Florida has been and improved this year, I like the Hilltoppers with that chip on their shoulder. Yeah, I, I do too. I mean, as tempting as it is to – to pick South Florida and their defense. I mean, they have the 23rd best defense, as you said. But I think the Hilltoppers are hungry. I think they're, I think they're trying to prove something. I think they're trying to prove that they belong in big boy college football. They, they're trying to prove that, you know, maybe that Conference USA isn't where they need to be. Maybe they're trying to get uh, some sort of bid to a higher conference maybe or they're maybe trying to prove themselves to the Power Five guys. 
that might be their motivation. Of course, South Florida hasn't been to a bowl since 2010, so you know they're they're hungry, and this is going to be their first nine win season since that, or they have a chance at that at least. But uh, Tom Allen is is up for the defensive coordinator job at Auburn. Um, so look out for that here in the coming weeks. I figure he'll be a major player in that race with, uh, you know, I think he, I think he's the front runner if I remember correctly, but um, I, I think this Western Kentucky offense is just going to be too much for him. Brandon Dottie, um, you know, he's, you know, I, I gave all his stats. He's a 4,000 yard guy with 40 touchdowns. And I mean, they just, they light up the scoreboard and that little dolphin, that poor little dolphin is just going to get some work. Um, when, when they when they tee it up, so it's uh, well, well, operating that thing is going to have a busy night. So they're going to have to get a veteran guy that that can uh, operate the the swinging dolphin and the flashing palm trees and stuff. So um, well, well, I got to ask you, coach. To watch. What's that? Well, I got to ask you, coach. If you think Western Kentucky has their sights set on something higher, I mean they they beat Vanderbilt. Their SEC brothers, Kentucky, lost to that same Vanderbilt team. Yeah. Does the SEC just flip those two teams out? <laughs> yeah, they could. I mean, I, I don't think they'd be worse. Uh, I don't think they'd be worse, honestly. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Western Kentucky. What do you think about? You know what? This year, Western Kentucky probably would have gotten second in the East. They probably would have. They would have. They would have beaten the brakes off Georgia, probably. I mean, <laughs> Tennessee would have absolutely collapsed against them. Missouri can't score a lick, and um, South Dude, Carolina man. was was horrendous. And if they played Florida um, only with the quarterback situation they have now, then I, you know what, that actually might be a decent game. So. I, I, it sounds like we're uh, starting the petition to move the Hilltoppers into the SEC. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let, let's move on from that game and get to the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. Oh, yeah, the Potato Bowl. Because there's nothing I love more than just a bowl full of potatoes. Mm, um, yeah. the blue this uh, uh, this uh, Tuesday, December 22nd game, Hits the Akron Zips uh, versus the Utah State Aggies, uh, two relatively mediocre teams. Akron seven and five, Utah State is six and six. Um, Coach, what's there to get excited about in this game? Uh, endless ads about Idaho potatoes. Okay, that's um, uh, I, I can I can take that for about twenty four minutes. Okay, so um, th- this is going to be Akron's. First winning season in a decade, um, so they're they're excited to to kind of build on that momentum. Uh, they're they're kind of trying to take that that first step forward. Um, is that is Tommy Bowden the coach there? Terry, Terry, Terry Bowden, the former wrong Bowden, the wrong Bowden. Yeah, he got uh, Terry was the one that went undefeated at Auburn and then immediately got blackballed um, from <laughs> coaching for a long time. So. Um, he, you know, he, you know, he's uh, itching to get back in the mix. Um, they're itching to atone for their lowest moment of the season, which was losing fifty-nine to ten to Bowling Green. Um, watch out for linebacker Jatavius Brown in this one. Uh, you know, he's he's their linebacker, and he kind of he's the leader of that defense, and, and he uh, he has ten and a half sacks and seventeen and a half tackles for loss. So he's a guy that that just flat gets after it. Um, 
Well, for the Utah State Aggies, you know, they're, uh, you know, that, that it seems like they're always in a bowl. They come from, I think the Mountain West is a really good conference, really good competitive conference. Um, you know, there's going to be some excitement um, in this game. They're going to try to hold off the upstarters and stuff like that. And, and, and Chucky Keaton is, uh, you know, obviously he's the heart and soul of that team. He leads that team and he just kind of, as he goes, they go. And so if he's having a good day, I think Utah State's going to have a good day. But, I mean, you know, there, there's a lot to be excited for. I mean, really, it's football on a Tuesday. So what, what, what more can, you know, what more can you ask for? So Yeah, Josh, what do you think about this one? Yeah, it's a, Utah State's had a very strange path to six and six. They were four and two at one point. Um, their two losses were road trips to Pac-12 schools and, and gave Utah a really good game, uh, acquitted themselves well in Seattle. And then Chucky Keaton gets hurt. They struggle. They limp to a two and four finish. Um, but what was strange was Keaton's replacement, Kent Myers, he played pretty well, 14 touchdowns to three interceptions. Uh, he really didn't seem like he cost them in any of their games. Um, and like in their Air Force loss, it four touchdowns to one interceptions, 364 yards. It's like, you know, he wasn't that bad. And then Chucky Keaton uh, comes in late. He plays the last two games of the year. Um he struggled against BYU. That was a pretty ugly game. So it, it's it's kind of strange. Utah State's been a shotgun. They're all over the place. It's hard to to figure them out. I guess if you're picking this game, you kind of go with the whichever conference you think toughens them up. And Akron hasn't played it, hasn't beaten a team that's making a bowl game. Um, their best win is probably five and seven Buffalo, whereas Utah State beat Colorado State, beat Boise State, Fighting Bobo, yeah, beat Nevada, who's also going to a bowl game. So you know, at the end of the day, I think I'm going to take the Aggies. But the deciding factor for me is due to so many injuries all throughout his career. This is only Chucky Keaton's second bowl game that he actually gets to be a part of. So I think he wants to finish his career strong. I was going to say, Chucky Keaton's it's only his second bowl game, yet it's the seventh season of eligibility. So, <laughs> um, uh, the thing I will say about this bowl game, just in general, is we have so many warm-weather bowl games. It's really fun sometimes. How this, the weather in this game is always intriguing. Oh yeah, it, it can. It sometimes it's you know snow, sleet, hail, or sometimes seventy degrees. So you never really know. Um, well, uh, the next place that we're going to move on to, uh, you can pretty be pretty sure it's going to be uh, a little hot, a little humid. Uh, that is for the in Boca Raton, Florida, for the Marmot Boca Raton Bowl, um, and uh, this is this uh, pits. 10-3 and three, Temple, the runner-up in the American Conference, versus 9-2 and two, Toledo. Um, so, Josh, two, two pretty good teams here. Two teams that have been ranked in the top 25 at different points this year. So, uh, should we, what kind of game should we expect? Well, you know what you're going to get from Temple? It's going to be physical. They're going to want to punch you in the mouth. Uh, Toledo, though, 
I don't know what their mindset is. Matt Campbell left. Um, they beat Arkansas way back in the beginning. They beat Iowa State. They beat Arkansas State, who ended up winning the Sun Belt in an impressive fashion. But their last month of the season, they lost to Northern Illinois, barely beat um, a sneaky good Central Michigan game, Michigan team, but that game was a lot closer than anyone would have guessed. Um, then they bounced back against Bowling Green. Seems sort of seemed like, okay, here we go. This is the real Rockets coming through again. And then they lost to Western Michigan at home with the division title on the line. And they're just not coming into the game with as much mojo as they had earlier in the year. That's why I like Temple uh, 16th best defense. And they had to go into a league with Houston, with Navy, with Memphis, with all these good offenses. With, uh, I mean, they, they beat Cincinnati way back when Gunnar Keel was fully healthy. And come on, the 10, intercept, the 10 sacks against the Big Ten team, give me the owls. Coach? Yeah, I mean, it's just for Temple, they're limping in badly. You know, they, they, were, they were riding high after that win against Arkansas. Matt Campbell has him playing really good physical. Toledo, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Toledo. Yeah. Uh, did I did I say? Did you I, did say Temple, yeah. Did I say Temple? Yeah. I saw Temple. I was thinking Toledo. <laughs> Weird. Oh, it's a T team. Who cares? Yeah, they start with a T, and they're sort of in the same area of the country, but not really. <laughs> um, Rust Belt. <laughs> they're in the Rust Belt, boy. No, Toledo. Yeah, Toledo, they were riding high off their uh, win against Arkansas. Uh, Matt, Matt Campbell has done a tremendous job there of getting them playing some of their best football that they've played. But obviously, they come limping in. It, it's like they were like running full speed, like, man, we're going to, you know, we're going to make a difference. And they hit a rock, stumbled, tripped, fell, uh, broke their arm, busted up their face. And now they're sitting here. Um, with a few broken ribs as well, trying to trying to stand toe to toe with uh, Matt Rule's Temple, um, Tyler Matek, Matikovich, and, and you know they're just I don't just know call I, team, just call them T Money, just just T Money, man. I mean they're, they're sitting there T Money staring them in the face. You know that they're, they're going to get a few more broken ribs. They might break their nose, knock out a few teeth, and I mean it's going to be a physical physical game on both sides. There's no doubt about that. Um, the the fine folks of Boca Raton, Florida, are, gonna, are in for a treat as far as good physical defensive football. And because uh, if there's I, one thing I know about the good folks of Boca Raton, Florida, is that they like defensive football. They really do. <laughs> I mean, you know, I I, I have since got. You'd be surprised. Play. Retirees are really into into guard play. Old school man. Oh it's yeah, old school, man. They, they love pulling guards and linebackers that fill the B gap and knock your face off. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they love that, but you know, for Temple, I, I think they're you know they're they're trying to they're trying to solidify their place on the map. They they got on the map this year. Now they're trying to now they're trying to make it more of a permanent mark. Um, you know, and I think they can do that. Matt Ruley decided to commit to Temple and stay there and make them you know try to turn them into a power in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, I, I think that's that's his goal. I think Temple wants to make that it make that their goal, and they they've committed to, to building a great program. And and fi- I say finally because Temple's always been kind of a doormat um, up until Al Golden got there. Al Golden got it started. Matt Ruley's got it 
got it going on. He's going to blow the lid off this program. Temple, uh, they're in a great place right now. Toledo, on the other hand, they just lost Matt Campbell to Iowa State. Uh, they got to pick up the pieces from there. They don't know what – I don't know what to expect out of them. And because of that, I really like Temple. And I like Temple kind of big in this game. Um, you know, yeah, it's going to be physical I, I, at first. And I just, I just see it going really south for the Rockets. They, I think they're just at, a, at their all-time low as far as confidence goes. Yeah, I, I don't think that um... – I, I'm not sure that Toledo is, is quite ready for the intensity. That, that, can I can that I make a bold statement? Can I make a bold statement? Uh, sure. Tyler Matakavich's size and weight is very similar to someone right now in the NFL. Tyler Matakavich's collegiate career almost mirrors a certain NFL player. I'm saying it right now. Matakavich can be as impactful in the NFL as Luke Kuechly. Ooh, I like that comp. That's a good one. That's mm-hmm. a good one. That's I, I, I think that's a very, very apt comp. I was trying to figure out who you're going to come up with, um, but I, I like that. I, I think he's Kuechly with a little bit with – I'm not sure he quite has the range in, in, in the pass game, in, in coverage, but he's a better pass rusher than Kuechly is. So uh, let's, let, let's keep it moving. Um, uh, where we will uh, go down to Southern California, where the San Diego, San Diego County Credit Union Poinsettia Bowl, gosh darn, that's hard to say, San Diego County Credit Union Poinsettia Bowl uh, is taking place in San Diego, California, Qualcomm Stadium on Wednesday, December 23rd, which uh, pits two uh, mid-major powerhouses uh, against each other, Boise State and Northern Illinois. Uh, Both teams uh, had years that did not live up to uh, these teams' lofty expectations, but nonetheless, uh, I think we should have a really good game. But I guess the real real question, though, Josh, is uh, who's going to start at quarterback for Northern Illinois? Uh, I think that's what the entire Husky nation is trying to figure out. Hold on, hold on, um, hold on. I need a quick aside with that. I don't know if we can call them Husky nation. Can they be like, um, can, can they be something that's like smaller than a nation? Because I'm, I'm not sure that NIU, NIU is worthy of having a nation. They're Husky principality. Now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was thinking. Husky parish. Husky Parish. Parish. I really like Husky Parish. That's what we're going with. Husky Parish. So sorry, Josh. Cut cut you off. Go on. Yeah, I mean, for show prep, I was, you know, Googling it, and I was trying to figure it out. And even, like, the news reports don't really have a sure thing on who's going to be their quarterback. Uh, so that that's a little scary, and I just think Boise State is a very, very prideful team. Uh, Brett Rippon wants to finish his debut season off in style. He's been pretty good, but, but a little up and down, especially the team was a little up and down late in the year with two late losses, New Mexico and Air Force. This is a... This is a program that even when they had a couple losses on the season, it was always like they won seven, eight games in a row to end the season. Like they always finished strong. 
I think that was the most surprising thing about them this year. And, I mean, his last few games, he certainly wasn't bad in those two losses I mentioned. Against New Mexico, 41 of 75, 506 yards. I mean, that that on paper looks all right, two touchdowns, but then the three interceptions, that hurt him. And then Air Force, he just wasn't efficient. Needed 48 attempts to get 237 yards and only completed 23 of his passes. Right. I mean, that's yeah, that's what you get when you have a freshman quarterback. And it's uh, I, I'm almost wondering if he kind of hit a wall a little bit as a freshman. He, you know, he passed it over 30 times, so many times during the course of the season. I'm wondering if his arm and shoulder just got a little tired, and, and maybe having a break before the bowl game. Will uh, will help him out, but but I expect Boise State to win this game, Coach. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting contest. I, I think that uh, both teams are at similar places this year. Uh, you know, for for Northern Illinois, I, I think whoever's starting at quarterback is just going to have to figure out how to step step at six o'clock and hand the ball off to Joel Bojanon. He led the league in rushing yardage and touchdowns, and uh, I led the league in butchering his name. Um, six foot two, 230 pounds, uh, a guy that can wear on you and pound on you throughout the course of a ball game. Uh, that's certainly a good weapon to have. Just ask Lane Kiffin with his 6'4", 240-pound tailback that he carried the ball 40 times and 46 times and then another 30-something times. Maybe maybe even another 40 times in the SEC championship. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head, but I think he had three straight games carrying the ball 40 times. So a big a big physical running back can carry you through a, through a ball game when you don't have much at quarterback. And and uh, yeah, I think that you know he he made the All MAC team. Uh, so you have what Ryan Graham and Tommy Fiedler battling it out. Or just trying to figure out who's going to start out of those out of those guys. Uh, is that Jay Fiedler's kid? <laughs> it might be. Um, oh, but, Lord, if that's the case, they're definitely losing. Yes, oh. they're they are screwed. All right. Um, well, uh, all right. But, uh, so, coach, who you got? Who do I have? I, I I'm gonna go with Boise State. I think uh, you know this is going to be a hashtag battle of the running backs. I think Jeremy McNichols is going to get the better of this matchup I think Boise State just one of those teams that just finds a way to get it done all the time and uh, you know I think they're going to hold up that big San Diego County Credit Union Poinsettia Bowl trophy uh, at the end of the day those big old flowers man it's going to be some obnoxious trophy (laughs) yeah don't let don't let the trophy near the dog he'll eat it and die that's an urban legend it doesn't impact i know we've we've had this conversation yeah multiple times actually (laughs) every Um, every winter i think yeah pretty much um well let's uh let's keep moving last uh last game of the day on wednesday is going to be uh one of my favorite bulls uh, that i'm most looking forward to this year from From Mobile, Alabama, it's the GoDaddy Bowl featuring Georgia Southern and Bowling Green. Um, Josh, we got to see some points, points, points. Yeah, definitely two very high-powered offenses. Uh, 16th in the country in scoring for Georgia Southern. They do it with a great running attack. And fifth in the nation for, for Bowling Green. They obviously do it with Matt Johnson and a fantastic passing attack. Uh, I'm going to take the Falcons pretty easily. Um, Georgia, Georgia Southern's a, a good team, but, you know, the, the Sun Belt 
was dominated by Arkansas State, and Georgia Southern didn't have to play them because they do, they have too many teams to do a full round robin, but not enough to do two divisions. And so the Eagles avoided the best team in the conference. They got manhandled in Boone against Appalachian State. Uh, they ran into a buzzsaw as Georgia State just really, really wanted to make a bowl game. And they lost that 34-7 to in the season finale. And when you start to look at their – They got boat raced by West Virginia as well, 47 yeah. nothing earlier. Yeah, so when you look at what they did, they actually did not beat a team that's playing in a bowl game outside of Western Michigan way back in the second week of the season. This is a team that really hasn't been tested other than App State. Well, they failed that test. Georgia, they failed that test. And Georgia State, they failed that test. Bowling Green on the other yeah, Bowling Green on the other hand, uh, had things rolling, got punched by Toledo, and then kind of shook it off and destroyed Ball State, won a gritty battle in the Mac title game. I think the Falcons are hungry. I think they're better than really anything Georgia Southern has seen for months now. Uh, so I'll take the Falcons. Uh, well, Coach, quick question for you. How is this going to – how is uh, Dino Baber's departure for Syracuse going to affect uh, Bowling Green this game? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, you never know with that type of thing. You know, you never know how it's going to affect them. Sometimes it, sometimes they play really well for the interim coach, and sometimes they are not focused at all, and, and they, they play – the exact opposite of good. Um, I think that Bowling Green is such a well-oiled machine. I, I think Dino Babers did such a good job, and I think he did a good job with his assistants too, that I think that the guy that's taken over is the, is the interim coach just for the bowl game because, you know, Matt Jinks is coming in as the uh, as the uh, permanent coach starting next season. So I think the interim guys will be able to hold it together, and I, I think that they can really move the ball. I mean, you have quarterback Matt Johnson. Um, he's putting up numbers – like it's a dang video game, you know, 4,400 yards, 41 touchdowns, six interceptions. I mean, those are, those are ridiculous stats and, 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 uh, and a very good conference. The, the Mac conference out of the group of five is probably, you know, if not the best, they're, they're one of the best, but they're, they're right there with the mountain West. I think mountain West and the Mac are the two best uh, group of five conferences. Maybe, well, maybe you could give a nod to, to the conference USA, but you know, I, I think the max up there as far as physicality goes, but Matt Johnson's putting up some, some big stats up there. I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I just think they're, they come from a better conference. They're deeper than Georgia Southern. I, I, I think it's not, I, I don't think Dino Baber's leaving is to, to answer your question, Matt, in a very long roundabout way. I don't think it's going to matter much just because of the depth and the talent talent level of uh, Bowling Green versus Georgia Southern. All right. Yeah, I am. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, 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 I can see that. It's just, you know, sometimes when the, when the, you know, when the team has an interim head coach, there's kind of a loss of direction, not the same kind of play calling. I don't know how involved Babers was in terms of calling the offense versus his OC. And I, I think that's going to have a lot, uh, you know, a big, a, a big, uh, to do with how this game turns out. But I also agree. I really like Bowling Green in this game as well. So, um, well, I guess uh, let's move on to Christmas Eve, where the first matchup of the day, uh, an early one, noon kick Eastern, um, for the Popeyes Bahamas Bowl, um, uh, where Middle Tennessee State takes on Western Michigan. 
Um, Coach, you're very pretty familiar with the Middle Tennessee State program. Uh, how do you how do how do you see them uh, you know atta- attacking this Western Michigan team? Well, I mean, I, I think that uh, if there's if there's a team that's going to do just do what they do, it's going to be Middle Tennessee State. I think they do a good job of running uh, inside zone, and then they set up their fast screen game, and they set up their mesh game um, very well. I think they have a good blend of of what they do and how they attack you, and I think that what they do a tremendous job of is just keeping defenses guessing and keeping defenses on their toes. You know, they get uh, they they a lot of times they'll take what they give they'll take what the defense gives and then uh, they'll take their shots downfield and then they'll, they'll get you with a running game when you're not expecting it. I mean, they're, they're a spread, you know, I guess they're classified as a spread finesse team, but they're not really finesse. They had, they had two offensive linemen make the all conference team. They had R- Richie James led conference USA with a hundred catches for 1220 yards. Brent stock still, uh, he made the all conference team. And uh, he was my he was my pick for uh, Kusa Rookie of the Year, and uh, so I, I think that you know they they do a good job up there. They do a good job game planning. They had they've had several near misses against uh, Power Five schools. They had a near miss against Illinois. They they lost control of it late. They had Vanderbilt beat and lost it in the fourth quarter. Uh, my only concern is they got boat raced by Western Kentucky. Um, but, uh, you know, they just – I think they, they've kind of found their groove a little bit. And once that – you know, they're, they're very streaky as well. And, you know, if they're hot, they're red hot. If they're cold, they're ice cold. And, and, and sometimes it can, you know – hopefully they can sustain that. Western Michigan is, is, is a solid football team as well. Um, you know, P.J. Fleck and company, they, they've been rowing that boat. And uh, <laughs> they've rowed it all the way down to the Bahamas. You know, they, they've done it behind – receiver Daniel Braverman, um, you know, and he's uh, five foot 10, 180 pounds. Um, a guy that's just flat out gotten it done. He's got, he's had 103 catches himself for 1,266 yards. Um, you know, they've, uh, you know, they, they had, uh, they just, their 35, 30 went over Toledo in the season finale, just kind of gave them some good momentum coming into the bowl game. But, I think it's going to be a fun one to watch. Um, it's going to be fun to watch because you can picture yourself in the Bahamas. That's I was going to say, it'd be even better to go to. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the title sponsor really doesn't fit, so that's interesting. And I, I think you're going to see some really good offensive football um, to, to top it all off. I think you're going to see a, a high-scoring affair in this one, kind of like an exhibition where – there's not a whole lot of defense being played. I think both defenses are good, um, but I think that's not going to show in this game just because of the matchup being the way that it is. Um, right. I like I like Western Michigan, but I like I like MTSU to win. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick MTSU to win, but they're not going to win by a lot. So um, they're going to score some points. Western Michigan is going to score some points, but I think MTSU is going to score slightly more. Josh. Well, it's amazing how similar these teams are. Middle Tennessee State beat a FCS team in Charlotte, one of the worst FBS teams. Western Michigan beat an FCS school and Eastern Michigan, one of the worst FBS teams. So you can kind of throw out two of their games right there. Uh, Middle Tennessee State has ripped off four straight wins. 
Uh, their last two games, they won by a combined 83 to 14. So they really seem to be in that groove with Brett Stock still. You kind of expect a freshman quarterback to be up and down. Um, I think Middle Tennessee State has the most impressive win overall. Um, they, they took down a nine-win Marshall team who had a good chance to win the division. So Blue Raiders are, are pretty solid. Western Michigan, tough to kind of get a read on. They had the bulk of their success in the middle of the season where they beat Central Michigan and Ohio. Both of them are going to a bowl game. Um, and then they beat Miami and Eastern, who are just dreadful, and Ball State, who's dreadful. And after that run, they've gone one and two down the final stretch. So maybe Toledo springboards them. We'll see. Feels like, even with a freshman quarterback, Blue Raiders might be a little bit safer pick. All right. All right. Well, um, moving from one paradise to our final paradise of the night, uh, we will head to Honolulu for the uh, – for the Hawaii Bowl in Aloha Stadium, where the San Diego State Aztecs uh, will take on uh, the Bearcats of Cincinnati. So, uh, Josh, we've got uh, sort of two different offensive approaches here, don't we? Uh, yeah, but we only have one good team. I assume you're, you're saying San Diego State is playing. Uh, um, the Aztecs, 10 and 3. Yeah, San Diego State, 10-3, and three, won nine straight games. Uh, Cincinnati comes in with the 88th-ranked defense. Uh, yeah, they had South Florida drop 65 on them. They had Memphis drop 53 on them. Um, this is a team that beat an FCS school, so you got to kind of drop their record closer to 6-5. and five. Um their most impressive win is Miami when Miami was an absolute train wreck that happened just prior to Al Golden being shown the door. So, you know, the Canes weren't playing up to their potential at the time. This Bearcat team just does not, does not do much for me. And I fully expect Rocky Long to have a great game plan. I fully expect Danelle Pumphrey to, to help the Aztecs control the clock keep the uh, passing offense of the Bearcats on the sideline where they can't do any damage. I like the San Diego State. Well, uh, the bowl committee for the Hawaii Bowl uh, did a good job of really showcasing San Diego State's talent because I think they've matched them up against a team that they can pound on. Uh, I, I don't think in my opinion, I don't think this one's going to be close. I, I think if there's ever been a more underwhelming 7-5 and five team, that's the Cincinnati Bearcats. I think that the Miami win was all smoke and mirrors. I think Miami was at their all at their rock bottom point of the season in, in that moment, and I think it was more of a, a fluke than anything. Um, you said that they have the uh, – you brought up, Josh, that they have the – what was it, the 84th-ranked defense? 88th. <laughs> 88th, even worse. I was trying to give them some credit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, they, they definitely, you know, um, you know they're, they're, uh, they're, they're going to be highly motivated. Nonetheless, they want to, you know, prove to everybody that they're not that bad. But I think they're going to get that chance. Don, Donnell Pumphrey is going to 
run all over him. I mean, he's going to run amok, uh, and, and they're not really going to need anything else, you know. And, uh, you know, this, you know, San Diego State is, is in a good place right now. They won their first outright conference title since 1986, feeling good about themselves. They got a nice Christmas Eve showcase, which used to be the very first bowl of the bowl season was the, was the, uh, the uh, Sheridan Hawaii Bowl um, late Christmas Eve night. Um, but uh, now it's just kind of like the tenth bowl game, which is kind of <laughs> odd. But um, I like San Diego State big. Uh, long story short, um, they're going to have a. Good, I think uh, both teams are going to have a really good time out there in Honolulu. Um, but I think San Diego State, when it comes time for kickoff, they're going to roll. All right, all right. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of our bold previews. You guys have any, uh, any parting shots before we uh, call it a night? Um, well, I, I've, uh, this is, uh, I'll mark this on uh, December 16th as the earliest that I've tuned into an NBA basketball game. Oh, um, are you watching the Warriors? Yeah. I'm watching the golden state warriors right now. Um, Josh, any, any, anything for you? Well, I know this is a college football podcast, but our alma mater, Matt, we should at least publicly thank Bo Ryan, all-time winningest basketball coach. Uh, the media wasn't too kind with him. They think he did a sneaky thing to let Greg Gard do it, but let's be honest. He wanted to retire months ago. He wanted to give the job to Greg Gard. Mm-hmm. Greg Gard's dad was sick, battling cancer. From what it sounds like with the press conference, from what I've read with people that actually know and not just uh, Greenberg talking out of his ass, as always, in the morning, uh, it seemed like this was a decision with Barry, with Greg, with Bo, to have Bo coach the first semester as kind of a contingency plan, let let Greg Gard focus on his family stuff, and then pass the, the baton like they had planned. And... For the you know power out of Barry Alvarez's hand, um, Steve Soderbergh replaced Dick Bennett when Bennett retired midway through the year. Did an adequate job as the interim coach, and then they had a full coaching search and brought in Bo Ryan. It's really not that hard. I mean, he they're not married to Greg Gard. They don't have to retain him at the end of the year. I don't know why people are are giving Bo so so much crap. No. I mean, I I want to applaud him for a brilliant, brilliant career. Lock for the Hall of Fame. Oh, absolute lock for the Hall of Fame. He is uh, easily the greatest coach in the history of Wisconsin basketball. Um, and that's not just at the University of Wisconsin, but that's at uh, across the entire state. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention his work at both Pla- at UW-Platteville and UW-Milwaukee. He is, you know, he brought Wisconsin. He averaged more than 25 wins a year. He is... Uh, you know, just uh, and he's also just a very good man. I know it's uh, people love angry Bo on the sidelines uh, when he gets all steamed and his face gets beat red. But <laughs> you know, I, I had the chance to meet Bo on a couple of occasions when I was about, when I was an undergrad, and he could have not he could not have been a kinder, um, more just engaging man. And so, um, you know. Here's to you. Uh, here's to you, Coach Ryan. Uh, you will be absolutely missed. 
So, um, and I, I just want to get up, uh, quickly change topic from my, uh, last parting shot. Uh, <laughs> AP, the APL American team came out, uh, last week. And for the most part, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I tend to agree with a lot of the guys the AP had on their list, but I want to say shame on them for not including Taiwan Taylor of Western Kentucky. The guy was second in the nation in touchdowns, fourth in yards, not even an honorable mention. Um, you know, it, it, as a receiver, he was second team, all legal motion. And he was the guy who really made a difference for that, um, for the Hilltoppers and Brandy Doty's favorite target. And I, you know, you know, some of the guys that got in ahead of him, I thought were, you know, a little bit questionable, but, um, you know, big school bias, you know, whatever. So that's going to have to wrap it up for the evening for us. Uh, but you can catch us again next time with our next round of bull previews. So uh, for Josh Cook in Chicago, Illinois, and for the coach, Corey Burton, in Nashville, Tennessee, I am the professor, Matt Perkins, in Los Angeles, saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.